You're listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode of the Down the Pub podcast is brought to you in association with Bootbox Vancouver, suppliers of boot socks. No movement in the boot means no blisters on the foot. Head to bootboxvancouver.com to get yours today. Our Wanderers Games reviews are brought to you thanks to the good folks at Humble Pie. Authentic butterflake pastry filled with local cuts, quality cheese and rich gravy to fill you up on the go or in the comfort of your own home. Head to humblepiekitchen.ca to get yours today. Pies and points, the perfect match. So, welcome to this episode of the Down the Pub podcast. Uh, we are joined by Miles and Jack from Instagram page Rose Ed Football. Uh, welcome back to the show, lads. Thanks for, Thanks for having us back. So, the last time you were on, obviously, uh, you, you weren't called Rose Ed Football. You were the footy Bible, if I remember correctly. Um, so, where did the rebrand come from and what's been happening with you guys? Well, basically, before... Uh, I'll be honest, the name wasn't particularly great, so we thought we'll come up with a name that no one else has, uh, so we thought Rose Ed, it sounds alright, and well, I mean, as you've, anyone who follows this has probably seen, we're doing quite a bit of commenting to try and get followers, and it's worked out quite well for us, we're on about 4,000 now, which is a lot more than we thought we were ever going to get. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Like, you are also doing like kind of advertising for people and helping people out with um, their marketing and stuff like that too, right? Yeah, yeah. Just just trying to help other people out and just because obviously when when we were a bit smaller, it massively helped. Bit slightly bigger pages giving us a shout out and just trying to repay the favor, move it on and and help other pages because we've we've really seen on Instagram a lot of the sort of football accounts are like, you know, screenshots of the same tweets over and over. So any account that we see that's sort of, you know, doing something a bit different, like we do quite a lot of analysis of players and, and teams and stuff. And so any other any other accounts that we're seeing doing kind of similar stuff, we're, we're, we're looking into and, you know, helping them grow. Because I think it's something that, well, certainly I'm interested in. And I, I think there's enough other people out there that are interested in more than just, you know, screenshots from the same same guys over and over. <laughs> yeah, and I must say, I, I enjoy the uh, the quizzes that you do every day. It's like a kind of uh, brain training for me. I've, I've yet to uh, get a full score, so <laughs> someday. <laughs> Jack's going to love to hear that. The quiz is, is, is the only thing he does. <laughs> the, the quiz is my brainchild, and it's just growing from strength to strength. Yeah. I love to hear all the... All the uh, all, all the praise about it. It's 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 all it's all great great news. So yeah, glad glad you enjoy that one. Well, uh, to be honest with you, it's, I think it's the only reason that most people go to your page. To be honest, just for the probably quiz, probably. So. <laughs> <laughs> so so what's the uh, just for people listen? What's the uh, the Instagram handle? Uh, at row underscore z underscore football. So uh, yeah, make sure to check them out. It's a very, it's a lot of fun their page and there's a lot of great content. So yeah, um, so I just thought we'd um, have a quick. Blast through some of the, uh, the, the the bigger teams just to kind of give our little overview of uh, the players they brought in and what we think they're going to be able to do this year. And then maybe just talk a little bit about uh, the teams that were promoted and whether they're probably going to stay in the Premier League at the end of the year. So um, I thought we'd start with um, uh, Chelsea first because obviously they've been like the biggest movers and shakers through all of this. Um, what, did, what do you think of their recruitment uh, so far, Jack? I think it's I think it's fantastic. I think 
initially, I was a little bit worried with um, obviously the players they're bringing in. Obviously, there's no doubt of, of the quality. You know, Werner, Ziyech, they were they were sort of the first names in, and I thought, yeah, great signings. But they did. I, I think last year the clear weakness was their defence and especially their goalkeeper. So initially, I was slightly concerned. Like obviously, bringing in fantastic players. Obviously, there's no there's no concern about the quality of the player. Just are they spending their funds right? However, now they've sort of brought in Chilwell. Thiago Silva, I think, is a brilliant signing on a free. And then, obviously, I think I've seen them linked with uh, Edouard Mendy, the goalkeeper, over the last couple of days. So, if they can get that um, over the line, I don't know if they'll get it done in time for the start of the season, but certainly should be in for the second game, I think, they're confident of getting him in for. So, frankly, if they get Kepper out and then they've upgraded with Chilwell, Thiago Silva and him, I think that's a clear upgrade in the defence. And I think they now have one of the best attacks in the league and so I'm I'm really optimistic I think they're going to have a great season I think um, <clears throat> there's a lot of pressure on Frank Lampard though because like last year obviously he didn't have uh, he had the transfer ban so nobody was expecting much but now well, all this money that's been uh, sent out um, it, there's a lot of pressure on him do you think he's going to be able to handle it Miles? I don't I, I'll be honest I don't particularly rate Frank as a manager I think <laughs> if they had a real top-class manager, they could definitely put up a title challenge. But I just think he's average. He's not bad. He's a Chelsea legend, but he's he's not a tactical man, I don't think. I just, I just don't rate him, really. Jack thinks he's very good because he's his favourite player, but yeah, look, I, I rate him. I think the, the, the positive atmosphere at the club, like, I don't think any player there is unhappy. You know, you saw, like, Giroud basically didn't play for the first half of the season and he didn't really complain. Like, he was kind of linked with moves in January and then, but he stuck at it. He Frank kept the atmosphere happy and then towards the end of the season, he started playing Giroud way more and he, he saw the result. Like, he ended up being really good and really a useful player for them at the end of the season. So, I just think the squad harmony there is... Like a, a thing that's been mentioned a lot is like our uh, Mason Mount, Callum Hudson Odoi, Tammy Abraham. Are they all going to be happy now that like their places in the squad are kind of gone where they they were nailed on last season? But I think Frank will be able to rotate enough and just keep the keep the morale high enough. And I think squad depth's incredibly important. And I don't think that having that is really necessarily an issue as long as you get everyone playing as much as as they want to. I just I just I think because like. They finish fourth, which is not good enough for Chelsea. They can't really complain, <laughs> you know. It's like you're you're playing at Chelsea. There's always going to be competition, and it's like it's up to you whether you're going to like nail down and get stuck in and like leave these players out of the the team, or or you're just going to like crib and moan and sit on the uh, the, the sidelines. But how how much of this do you reckon is uh, like? Abramovich's shopping list, <laughs> rather than what Frank Lampard actually wants to bring into the club. Yeah, yeah, I think that there could be an element of that. Like, I think definitely, I mean, a massive part of Abramovich at Chelsea has always been like signing big names, like Mourinho as a, like managers. He's always he's never really gone like Frank Lampard's the first one that he's really gone for that's not done something before. So managers, he's had Mourinho, Villas Boas, Scalari. Like, he's always gone for the big names, Conte in more recent times. So, and then it's the same with the players. Like, he brings in these big names, and I think over the last couple of years, obviously with the transfer ban, not being able to bring in any names at all and losing their biggest name by far of, of Hazard. I think they, they, I think he definitely wanted to bring in names and make a real statement this summer. And I think he's, he's done that. But I think 
I think Frank definitely gets a, a say. Like he was clearly a massive fan of Chilwell. I, I don't think Abramovich would necessarily have gone for Chilwell. So I think that was definitely Frank Frank's decision there. So I, th- I think that's. I think it's sort of he does have a say, but I, I do certainly agree Abramovich did want names, and so I think it's been a, a good mix of both. Yeah, so I, I mean, just just when when I was just seeing all these players coming in, I, I was just like, Jesus Christ, this is gonna this is gonna be a shit show for everybody else. So it's gonna be interesting to see um, what they do, and uh, we'll we leave our predictions to the end of where we think they're gonna finish. Um, so next, moving on to the next one in the top six uh, would be the FA Cup winners, uh, Arsenal. So they did. Re- they've done really well because it, for them it was mostly about keeping one player, Aubameyang. They've managed to do that, but they brought in a couple of uh, big name defenders as well. So, what, what do you think about their uh, recruitment in the off season, um, Miles? Well, I, they've uh, the main thing was getting Aubameyang tied down because he is their only real world class player. Having him in the side is what they need for top four and to go and push on. I'm, I think Saliba, obviously they signed him last season, but coming back in is great. He was brilliant in Ligue 1 last season and getting Gabrielle in as well. I don't think they'll be able to play together, especially at the start of the season together. So they might have to have David Luiz in for a bit of experience. But once they're bedded into the side, I think they'll actually have a really solid defence. If they can, if they can keep hold of Bellerin, the only question I have about Arsenal is when you look at their best starting eleven, where do they put in Saka and Martinelli? Because they've had great seasons this year, but apart, I mean, you can play them in the Europa League, but they'll probably want to get league minutes. And I think in their strongest starting eleven, they don't get in. It's, but it's just one of those things again. It's it's like when you're kind of like a younger player and you're playing for a bigger club. It's going to happen. Like I mean, you just you have to adapt to what what's being asked of you and like just do your your stuff on the the training pitch. Like I mean, Bellerin's been kind of um, linked with so many like moves away from Arsenal. Like, do you think it'll be a big loss for them if they actually lose them? If uh, well, the reports are about twenty five million quid. And I think that is you could you should be able to get more than that for him. If they lose him for that, I don't think you'd be able to get a player who's as good as him for that amount of money. And with the what with what they've already spent, I don't know that Arsenal are going to have a lot of funds left to go out and buy another right back. Because I mean they've got Cedric in on a free, but I don't think he's anywhere near what Bellerin is. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely one. It's I feel like they're almost in the the Tottenham range of stuff where um, they just can't compete with what Chelsea and Man City are doing. Like, do you think that? Do you think that they've uh, like got a decent enough squad to get it into the top four? I think top four is well. It's that's that's difficult because I think their defense like is okay it's like it's really young and I think that's great like I think Saliba and Gabriel like they could easily play in the Premier League for the next like five ten years as a partnership and like comfortably be one of the best in in like five five years time I think this season's going to be a push like like Miles said I think losing Bella and your right backs are then like Cedric who Southampton didn't really want and prefer Carl Walker-Peters to and uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles who I'm not convinced by, to be honest. Left back, I think Tierney's good, but then my my biggest issue with them, obviously, sorry, the, the attack is obviously brilliant, like Aubameyang, Lacazette, if he plays, if not, Nketiah, maybe, like, but 
that's all right. And then right wing, obviously, you've got Pepe or Willian. That's fine. My biggest concern is the midfield. Like, I think it's okay defensively. Like, Torreira, I think, is good. But then you've got players like Guendouzi, Xhaka. Like, I'm not convinced any of them are, are superb going forwards. And so I, I don't know really who's, who's like the creative player in their team. So that, that for me is a worry. Like, I don't think they, like, they need a creator in there. And obviously the, the obvious answer is Ozil, but clearly he's just, it's just not working out <laughs> for him there. And like, that's, that's just not an option. Uh, I, but. I actually forgot all about him, to be honest. I feel for, like, I just, just as you mentioned, I was like, fuck, oh yeah, they still have him. Like, he's just, he's literally like the invisible man. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, he, he doesn't play and then he's just in the team one week and you're like, oh yeah, you, you still play. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's, it, it is kind of crazy the decline he's had. And I think it's very unfortunate, but yeah, I think I kind of disagree with Miles to an extent. Like, I think, if you sold Bellerin, I, I do agree 25 mil is, is, is too little. Like, if they sold him for a better for a better fee than that, like maybe sort of more 30, 35, I think that would be okay if you then bought like a, a creative centre mid. Like, I've seen them linked with Awa from Lyon. Like, if they sign him for a similar kind of fee or if they sell Bellerin and sign him, like, I think that's, that's, that's good business for them because at right back, they're taking a small drop but then a massive gain in midfield. So, I think that they, if they sign that creative centre mid, I definitely give them a, like that would make that would be the biggest improvement I could see to like any of the top six, like an obvious improvement of them signing a creative centre mid, and and that would really help them push for the top four, I think. So, so you don't think that uh, Danny Sabias is uh, creative enough to to fill in that void? Oh, I, I actually forgot about him. He's he's just coming on loan again, hasn't he? Yeah, no, yeah. I, I think he's he he doesn't really he he moves the ball quite well, but I think in terms of like that really like creative final final third like picking that pass like Ozil for example like like he could in his prime I know obviously he can't now but like prime Ozil like picking those passes that no one else can see like I don't think Sabas has really got that um, so yeah I would I would still look for another creator he's a good point actually I had I'd, I'd forgotten he'd move back in on loan that that is a good signing I do, I do think yeah um, it's. I, it's just you're right though in in a way that like I mean it, it's it's one of those things that if, if key players get injured they're they're fucked pretty much because you know like last year as you said there about Tierney like Tierney was injured for so much of last year when he came back in they just look so much better so they kind of have to make sure that those players stay fit because as soon as one of them is, is out that's when they're going to really struggle and I just think that the other teams uh, that are vying for that spot just have better squad depth and it's just going to be like I think their downfall yeah absolutely like Aubameyang's injured and like that season over like I don't I don't want to be too too harsh but like they have like we I said their attack's good but it, it's massively reliant on Aubameyang like it's sort of similar to Salah and Mane levels at Liverpool of reliance on on one player so yeah I'd agree with you there so the squad depth as well I, I think is is going to harm them but I do think Arteta's targeting better players and I think not this year but I think in three four years they could if they if they continue to sign these type of players I definitely think they'll be a regular top four and and maybe even a title challenge if 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 everything falls their way in a, in a few years but not this year for me so um let's move on to uh, the champions from last year um Liverpool again haven't been that busy in the transfer market do you think that's a big mistake Miles? Yeah, well, I was I was going to say when you brought up we're going over the top six transfers, I was thinking, well, is there anything to really say about Liverpool? Because they seem to have absolutely no money for some reason. 
even though they've won everything in existence. (laughs) The fact that they are haggling over Thiago for 25, 30 million is ridiculous. I don't understand how no one has just come and bought him yet because 25 million for Thiago, one of the best midfielders in the world, is, is daylight robbery and Liverpool don't want to pay it. I, I just can't understand why they're not paying him because he is a clear upgrade on any of their midfielders. And the fact they could get rid of Wijnaldum for a similar sort of price to Barcelona, so their net spend would be zero, I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I know they've got a settled squad, but I think they definitely need to look at some backups for the front three because they brought in Minamino, who looked decent in the community shield. But they need, because um, as Jack said before, if Salah or Mane get injured, the, the downgrade to Shakiri, Origi and Minamino is just, it's fallen off a cliff. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Like, I mean, I, I, I agree with you like, in the fact that they haven't spent any money whatsoever. And it, like, it's, it, it, well, they've bought in the, um, the, the Greek left back. Um, yeah, but apart from that, but, 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 but so it's like almost two, two summer windows when they haven't done much business. I just feel like there's some a Liverpool director somewhere with a suitcase full of money somewhere just laughing his ass off because, you know, as you said, like they've won so much, but they're depending on a squad where a majority of the players are at the end of their twenties coming into like to their their thirties, and it's like um, the cost that it's gonna it's gonna cost them so much money to replace. Salah and it's going to cost them so much money to replace Mane that they should be starting to do that now and like bringing in one or two players just to to kind of top up the squad a little bit. Do you think that they're um it seems that they're almost like dependent on their their youth system to bring these players through. Do you think that the youth youth players that they have Jack are like good enough to uh, to step up? Oh, I, I don't know. Like it's so difficult to say. We've seen so little of of like. Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott and Nico Williams, like we, we just don't know how good they are to, to to eventually step through. I do think, like I think you were you had a good point there of like Salah and Amane and Firmino are all twenty eight now. So like when they came in, like before these last two years where they've won stuff, they were twenty six. So I think they've had those good years, twenty six, twenty eight, twenty nine at the end of this year. I think you could definitely, like looking at Barcelona, you could or or Real Madrid, you could easily sell one of those players to them, like because they're stupid with money and and <laughs> get like like eighty, ninety, a hundred mil for 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 them, and then reinvest that. Like you could probably convince a team to spend as much on Salah as it would cost to get Sancho, and to me that's like a no brainer. Like you should definitely sell. Get, get Salah gone now while he's like peaked. Again, if he has like a, a year-long injury, like his value is just going to halve, like just like that. And I think that they bought really well. At the, like the times they've bought players, they've bought them just as they're entering their prime. That And now they need to sell those players, which I know the, the fans won't want to hear because like they love that front three. But if they sold those players, like Timo Werner is, is a perfect example of it. Like he's that younger age. He's the age of... He's a bit younger than when they brought in Salah, Mane and those guys. They should have bought him and he's like a ready-made replacement for, for and then bedded him in this year and, and replaced, slowly replaced Firmino and then get rid of Firmino next year. And you would probably have turned a profit on that. And I think that the next generation, I think they need to be better at. And I don't, I mean, maybe they, I mean, they obviously know their academy better than any, anyone. And so maybe they have 
the perfect players. Maybe Rian Brewster is going to explode. And I, I can't see it myself, but like they know their academy better than anyone else. And if if they think they've got the replacements, then I, I can't really question that. But certainly from the outside looking in, they should have, they need to move soon to make sure that the, because once those front three drop off, especially like Salah and Mane, very reliant on pace. Like when they hit the other side of 30 in sort of two, three years, they're going to see a big decline. And that could mean, I mean, maybe Liverpool just want five years at the top and then that'll be enough. And maybe this, like similar to the way Chelsea didn't spend for a couple of years, they just built up this like war chest and then spent it all this summer. Maybe, maybe Liverpool is kind of planning a similar thing. But yeah, I certainly don't think it's the best thing to do not spending all of your money now, especially because right now they're like, they can basically attract any player in the world. Like if they have a couple of down years and then they spend all this money, it's going to be harder for them to convince a Sancho to go there. So I think definitely they have missed a trick, um, missed a trick not spending while they've been at the top, but you know. Yeah, it's, I think that's it. I think it's almost like a club thing though like I can't see him he, he seems to really want to settle squad and I think like I can't see him like being a guy who brings in the way that Chelsea have like you know six seven players to change around the squad so I'm surprised that he's not just like buying in those like one or two players because anybody he's brought in like they, they don't usually start for, like the first couple of months because he wants to like blend them into the system like I mean like Fabinho and um uh like Naby Keita like we're took them ages to get into the team just because I guess he's just trying to mold them into what type of player he wants. So, I mean, that's, there's also that as well that you can't like, if they do need to go on panic boy, it's going to take ages for that person to get into the team. It just boggles my mind that they haven't gone and spent anything. Maybe in the next couple of days, it might surprise us all, but yeah, it's, it's, it's odd. Um, So moving away from, Liverpool and their one signing because they didn't really give us much to talk about. Uh, let's um, let's switch over to uh, Man City. Um, what did you what have you think about their transfer business so far? Well, uh, Ferran Torres for twenty million. First of all, brilliant. Like he, one year left on his contract, like twenty. He's got years at the top. He looks very good. That is a great signing. And then you go to forty million for Nathan Ake. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how Bournemouth are getting this money for their players because they've just been relegated and they've spent forty million on Solanke and Ibe. Where they've got this money from with their horrific, reckless spending under Eddie Howe, <laughs> I don't know. But they seem to have all the power against these teams because forty million for Nathan Ake. Who who is basically obviously before signing for City basically a Championship defender, not Championship quality, but a club in the Championship. That is just ridiculous. I don't know how they've done it, and, and why City have paid that. You think that City would be able to haggle it down, especially considering he's being left-footed. He's most likely just to be a back backup for Laporte. So. I think Ake as a player coming in is a good idea, but the fee they paid for him isn't particularly wise. But more to the point, I mean, their spending at the moment has just been a big middle finger to FFP. Oh, yeah. Like, they, like and that's, I think because they sold uh, Sané and that money's technically probably coming in as part of the new season, um, it's probably going to balance it out a little bit. 
um, like the 54 million. But I, I just find it bizarre that, you know, like we all knew where their weaknesses were last year. It was like um, in defense and uh, in midfield for like a central, because like obviously Fernandinho was getting older. And why they would think that Nathan Ake is the answer to that problem, I don't understand it whatsoever. Like he's, as you said, like, I mean, he, he could make that Chelsea. Like he's done okay at Bournemouth. He was out loan in a few places. Where did this figure of forty-one million came from? It just boggles my mind. Like, um, yeah, it's they just don't seem to be replacing players that they're losing. Like they still haven't replaced um, uh, Vincent Company properly, and I don't think that Nate Nake is the answer. Sorry, left-sided centre back. They need a right-sided centre back because Otamendi is past it. Whether he was. Ever even at it, <laughs> John Stones. They, they. I don't know. They paid fifty million for John Stones, and he's regressed. If anything, he got, he made that one off the line clearance last season. But apart from that, he's just the English Mustafi. I completely agree with 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 the Ake as well. With with the fee, like it was not like they were in a bidding war. Like they literally just approached Bournemouth and said forty three mil, and Bournemouth went yes, please. Like it, 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 I don't get like anything about it like I mean they've been linked with Koulibaly like it's a good signing but he's 29 like how many years has he got left like two three I mean it's so it's short term but at the same time I couldn't really suggest them an outstanding centre-back who's available and I I think that's why they've basically gone for Ake like they've they've clearly overspent massively and I I do agree like the left foot like he should be he's he's a left-sided centre-back but I don't know whether they're just going to play him on the right, but like I don't know really of any centre-backs that are that available. So they need a centre-back and they need a right-footed centre-back, but I don't know who... I don't. I wouldn't even know who 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 to suggest they target. Like at this point, it's also mad that like they've um, that they haven't brought in another striker. Like I mean, Aguero was injured quite a lot last year again, and obviously he's in his thirties now. And like Gabriel Gabriel Jesus, like he he's kind of hot and cold. It's funny that we're talking about a team who came second last year by quite a, a good margin from the rest of the league, but it's just like there's so many like little pieces that that just didn't fit right last year, and I don't think they've um, actually fix them like I mean they haven't replaced Leroy Sané which is going to be a huge a huge loss for them I think like do you think uh, that they need to like go out and spend even more than what they've done already I think as you say a backup striker potentially I mean people see still see Jesus or Jesus as the backup striker but he is probably going to play more minutes than Aguero next season and Aguero at this point, is slowly going to be phased out because he's never been great with injuries and it just seems to be getting worse. And a left-sided player, I imagine what Pep's going to do is play Sterling off the left and then have Mares and Ferran Torres on the right. But with how City and Pep normally seem to operate, he likes to have incredible backup in every single position and rotate a lot. So I don't necessarily think they need to get another left-winger but I imagine they will just because of how Pep likes to operate. That makes a, that makes a lot of sense. I, it's just, it's just so, it, their squad just seems so, so weird. Like, I mean, they, they, they just go for players sometimes that they don't really need. Like, I mean, like, I, I mean, if I was Phil Foden, I'd be like pissed off right now. Cause I mean, like it's probably going to be another season of him getting minimal minutes. I know he probably deserves after what he did, but um 
I would love like Tottenham or somebody to win for Phil Foden at this stage. Like, do you think that he's, he should he should move on? Well, I think I, you saw last season that Bernardo Silva barely got any minutes. If Bernardo Silva's not getting minutes, what does Phil Foden expect? I don't I don't know how he can get in the side because I think people. I, I almost forgot that Bernardo Silva was at the club because he went from Player of the Year in eighteen nineteen to a bit part role last year with De Bruyne coming back. And obviously De Bruyne's massively better. But I hope that Pep plays him. Otherwise, he needs to move because he is at least potentially world-class, I think. Oh, he's he's an incredible player. Like, I mean, it's it, it just it boggles your mind. Like, when you're, like, you see City in second and Liverpool top of, like, and then you look at, like, City's bench, like, how that happened. <laughs> it's just, it's... It, but that, I think that comes back to your point, though, that like he, he stacks up an awful lot, and that's why you end up with all these superstars sitting on the bench. And I don't know how morale is anyway decent in the squad when you've got so many big egos like that just sitting on the bench. It's um, just it's a cra- it's a crazy situation. It'd be kind of interesting to see like if he changes systems or how he tries to, he's going to manage to try and fit all these players in. Um, so let's move away from the the blue half of Manchester over to the worst side of it, uh, Manchester United. Um, so they haven't been too busy in the transfer market either, but they've made a very shrewd signing in Mr. Donny Van de Beek. He looks incredible. Um, he's another one of these Ajax kids that they just churn out like um, every couple of years. But um, I, th- I think that's it's making their midfield look like probably one of the best in the, the Premier League. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I agree, like, he's a great signing and, and for the price, but it's, again, another case of a team sort of buying a player, like, again, similar to Chelsea, if in the final bit of the transfer window they go and address the actual areas of the squad they need to, like Chelsea have now done, then I think it's it's a good signing, and I think for depth it's good. But, like, him, Pogba and Bruno, does that, like, obviously they're all fantastic players and they're all obviously better than Matic, but does it really work as a midfield? Because... Like, who's doing any defending? And, like, I, I agree, he's a fantastic signing. But where I, I, don't, I just can't really see how Pogba, him, and Bruno all play together. Like, I mean, Pogba's injured a lot of the time. So maybe maybe Solskjaer's just thinking it's going to be a straight swap for Pogba when, when Pogba's inevitably injured after, like, three games. <laughs> but I, I, I just... I think it's, it's a fantastic signing, like you say. Just it's another case of... Did they need him, especially with the hole at left back and and right wing? Like I know Mason Greenwood's there, but they need somebody to play there for the whole season. The only other thing I can think of is that he's going to play like a midfield four of like Matic, Van der Beek, Pogba, and Bruno, with then just Rashford and Martial like playing both as strikers, so like no width, and just like hope the fullbacks can do that. But then their current fullbacks, I don't think are really that, like Aaron Wambasaka doesn't really attack that much and their left-backs can neither attack or defend. So, like, I don't really, it, it feels, it's a great signing and for 40 mil, I think it's a good piece of business and I think they've got him for less than what he's worth and I think to another team, like, he could have he could have been a massive help. Like, to, yeah, to, to other good teams, but I'm just not certain that he's the right player for Man United at this time with the other issues in their squad. When I saw the signing coming in, I was like, he's a really good player. I've seen him play before. Like, he looks awesome. And then I thought the exact same thing. I was just like, how does he fit in anywhere? Like, I, maybe they're still thinking that Pogba might 
take off again. Like uh, that's the only thing I can see. That's the the reason behind it. They've done really well actually. Like to to clear out some of the uh, the stuff the, the the people that were kind of festering around the club. Like I mean, they've got Alexi Sanchez out the door and stuff like that. So that's obviously going to be a positive. The the one like issue I can really see in the squad is is the three goalkeepers of like De Gea, Henderson, and Sergio Romero. Like all three of them are good goalkeepers, and I feel like after Dean Henderson's season at Sheffield United, you could maybe have sold him on like for quite a large fee to maybe like I don't know what the finances are like at Man United. Like they're obviously a super club. They've probably you know COVID hasn't hit them at all. But I'm just kind of thinking, could they maybe have sold him for like? 30 million and then brought in like I think they've been linked with Reguilón from Real Madrid I think he'd be a brilliant signing for them like I think if they signed him at left back and Sancho at right wing I would classify this this window as like a, I'd say they've improved like the most well probably except Chelsea but like they've improved <laughs> one of the the biggest amounts in in like Europe's top five leagues because of they've addressed the issues but that's like quite conditional on two massive transfers which They've not like they've been linked, but they haven't really made that much progress with yet. And the one they have made progress with and completed, I'm not entirely convinced helps their team that much. So, a question for you, Miles: uh, Like, if you're Jaden Sancho, would you want to go and play for this United team? It depends what they're paying. <laughs> you know, if he's going to earn 200k a week, I think you go. But I, th- I think as a as an English player, you do tend to want to play in England. And as good a club as Dortmund are, Man U, historically, are just better. And they do seem to be on the way up at the moment. I mean, whether you'd want to work under Ole, I wouldn't. But apart from that, they could probably pay him an extortionate wage and... He will start, he will play every game. He has no competition, and he would be the star man. And from a United point of view, I don't get why they haven't signed him. It would be the same money as uh, João Felix, who had six months of football behind him. And as as Jack said, I doubt COVID's hit them particularly hard. And they seem to be haggling about ten million, which from an one hundred and twenty million pound fee, is peanuts yeah it's yeah it's 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 one of those things that i think that if alex ferguson was still there the deal would get done you know what i mean oh yeah and it's i think that's where maybe like um ollie probably lacks a little bit of experience in, in those big transfers that you know you go in and you just tell them who you want so um so moving on from united then uh it's kind of weird, like like trying to work out a top six, but because I'm a Tottenham fan, we have to include. Yeah, you've got to say, I was going to say. Yeah, it just it you is. You said Everton. Yeah, it, it, or Leicester, or or, uh, or even Wolves, but uh, yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna go with Tottenham, man. Like this has been frustrating too, you know. Like I mean, like we've been talking about uh, with Tottenham about needing a striker to back up Harry Kane for probably a year and a half now. Even when Lorente was there, because like he's he was past it. Like, they still haven't brought one in. And it's like every year, Harry Kane is guaranteed to be injured for two months. It's just part, it's like as, as, the, the, as we go around the sun, it's, it's just a definite thing that Harry Kane's going to be out injured for two months. So why do you think they haven't brought, is, there, is it because there's nobody out there or 
Is it just Daniel Levy just being cheap? I don't know. I just think it's so, so obvious. It's like, you can't blame Kane for getting injured. Oh, because he, he plays every minute, right? So many games. He plays every minute for Spurs. He plays every minute for England. He, he doesn't have a break. And I think the, the COVID break did him a lot of good because you saw, especially in the game against Leicester, you could see Pete Kane coming back. But he still needs an understudy because, I mean, Jose Klee doesn't trust Troy Parrott and I don't blame him for that. <laughs> but, he's, he's, I mean, Irish, he's Irish, so like, be careful what you're saying here. <laughs> no, it's like, I, and I, I know exactly where you're coming from. He's year Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing. Like, a lot of people, like, were screaming for him to play last year because, like, he does look good. Like, I've seen him play for Ireland a few times and, like, he is a really great player. He is a good player. But he, that's all. He's a prospect. And yeah. like, I mean, it's not fair on him to be trusted in as Harry Kane's understudy. Like he's, it's too soon. So, yeah, I, I think the loan to Millwall is probably the best thing to keep all that speculation away from him and like let him concentrate and let's get his game together. To be yeah, honest, again playing football. But you see, you see so many players linked. Like uh, last season, I think there was Milik linked from Napoli, and you think, oh yeah, that'd be a really good player. But nothing ever materialises. It's just a journalist thinking, hey, they'd be pretty good. I've not seen the club really make an offer for anybody, which is just, it's disappointing more than anything because it's not like there's no money. And Dombele last year on paper looked like a good signing for, for, for 50 mil. Equally, I'd rather just put that money in the bank and spend... 20 mil on a backup striker because it is so so needed and everyone knows it's needed I don't understand how it's not been done yet and I, I think it's, it's as well like uh, everybody kind of tends to think that we need to bring in another Harry Kane but it's also nice to bring in a, a, an attacker like a, a forward who's not just a big guy and who can head the ball and all that kind of stuff it'd be nice to have like a bit of pace in there too that it's an option for us because sometimes teams just know how we're going to play because Harry Kane plays a certain way. And um, there's been times when they, like we've had possession and we're just sitting there with nothing to do because we've just been outmaneuvered. So it'd be kind of nice to have somebody with a bit of pace, you know, just get somebody in just to have a, an option, even on the bench, even if Harry Kane's like off form, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy to me that, uh, even in the documentary uh, they were talking about last January about bringing in a striker, and we're we're here now in September, and we're still fucking talking about it. <laughs> just, I do, I do, I have some sympathy though, because I think it's like one of the hardest positions to recruit in football to be Harry Kane's understudy, like because you've got to find someone who's good at football because they've got to play for Tottenham when Kane is inevitably injured for two months. But equally, you've got to convince someone like come and sit on the bench for 10 months and then when <laughs> Harry Kane's injured, play for two. And like, I think, like also now, like you mentioned with Troy Parrott, I think he's gone out on loan this year. So it's almost like if you can get through this year and maybe, like I think he's gone to the championship this year. So I think if you can almost get through this year and next year with like Kane and maybe Son playing as like, as backup and then you have, because you have like quite a lot of depth on the wings with like Bergvine and, and Mora as well. So I don't know if you could get by this like this year and then if Parrott does really well in the championship, you could bring him in next year as the backup or if you want to give him another year like at a lower end Premier League team, like 
I'd take him at West Ham on loan. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, you could maybe loan him out and then give him the spot because that's the other thing. Anyone you bring in has got, like, Kane ahead of them now and they know that the club clearly rate Parrot quite highly. And so they know they almost only have, like, two years to prove themselves. So I just think it's such a hard player to to bring in. And so, but I, I do agree, you, you've needed one for, like, three years. So three years ago, you could have got someone for five years. But there's a bit of me that almost thinks you've left it too late now. Unless you buy unless you buy a winger who can also play backup striker or, or a cam who can play like Havertz would have been good because he can play striker but and but can also play cam for mo like it's almost like you need someone that can play somewhere else for the majority of the time and then can also cover at striker because convincing someone to come in and sit on the bench for ten months is, is quite hard, I think. Well I think as I think as well though, like I mean just especially with Pochettino, like I mean, Harry Kane played every minute of every game, and there's been times when we've been like three or four nil up, and he's still playing till the end. So I mean, th- there is minutes there for a player to come on and, and and do whatever. It's just it's it's the manager actually trusting them. So that's why I think they need to get somebody that obviously Mourinho thinks is a decent player rather than just Levy just finding somebody that's down the job center. You know what I mean? It's it's they kind of have to bring in somebody who's going to be a decent understudy, but also like have the, the trust to play them for like the last 15, 20 minutes in the game and take Harry Kane off. Or, you know, if, if, if we're playing X, Y, and like in the, the Carabao Cup or whatever, like give them a run out and stuff. I, I just think that we just rely so much on Harry Kane that the, the injuries are inevitable because he plays every minute of every game and he just never has a break. Um, and I just, as, as Moyle said, I mean, like the, against Leicester, he started to shine through a little bit, so yeah, it's it's such a it's such an odd one. And I mean, the fact that we're, we haven't even mentioned the players have actually signed uh, shows you how frustrated we all are that uh, we can't get a striker in. But they brought in Heiberg and they brought in Matt Doherty from from Wolves. I think Matt Doherty was a very shrewd move because he uh, he scores goals and he's a solid defender. And I think having watched Serge Aurier for like the last two years and give me heart attacks um it's kind of nice to have somebody i think that we can actually trust defensively so um what do what do you think about that um uh, signing miles uh it's a great signing for 15 million brilliant and i think that's also what we got for walker peters going to southampton because i think we we sold them walker peters for 15 million and brought hoiberg in for 18 so there, it was about a three million net there and then to get Doherty or Doherty, whatever his name is, back on the same, <laughs> on, for the same price is great business. I don't quite know why Wolves let him go because as far as I know, he's played basically every single minute since they came up. But for us, as you say, Serge Aurier, I mean, when, when there's an attacker in the box and Aurier's next to them, oh, it's, I, I wouldn't want to have heart problems. It says it was in the it was in the documentary where uh, Mourinho went to him in the in the training room. I was like, "Do you speak English?" He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Every time I see you in the box, I think you're going to give away like a stupid penalty or something like that." He said, "And it just and he does." <laughs> yeah. and, and it's just it, I, it, like he, I, he's not he's not a natural. I think he's a winger more than uh, a defender, and I think that's where a lot of his issues come from. Is that like he just has rushes of blood to the head, and he it, it doesn't seem like it's his natural position so I think they're they're probably talk, I know they're trying to get rid of him and AC Milan are talking about spending like 30 million on him so I would snap their hands off to oh yeah that'd be um, brilliant business 
well, time you just get him out. Well, they can take thirty million for him, and then whatever they'll they'll pay for Danny Rose because apparently Danny Rose is supposed to be on there too. So, uh, so um, what what did you think about? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's clearly not happy in the documentary. <laughs> oh, he came across horrible. Uh, uh, like, uh, fair play to me, had the balls to say what he did, but it was kind of just. Yeah, it, it, the, the end part when he was saying he wants to speak to Daniel when he comes in was kind of stupid. Anyway, yeah, then, um, so uh, what, what do you think about uh, Joe Hart coming in? Do you think that was a shrewd signing? I, I, it's fine. I doubt he'll play. It didn't cost anything. I mean, he can sort of rotate his back up with Gazaniga, but I think Gazaniga's better at this point. He's played more football. So... Um, with Vorm going, Hart is better. But did Vorm really play? Not really, unless, well, Laurie's broke his arm. But I doubt that's going to happen again this season. So, it's fine. I'm not excited about it. I doubt we'll see him. But, yeah. I, I was so surprised at how much they sold that on uh, social media. Like, um, when he moved to, like, Burnley, it was like, Whatever, you know, Joe Hart, he's nowhere else to go. Because it's like, hey, come and hang out with us for a while. The way Tottenham were going on, he did like they brought in Gordon Banks or something like that. It was crazy. Like they were like uh, Hart at Tottenham and they were showing all this kind of other stuff about him. I, I think it's good for the fact that he's a winner and having that winner mentality around the dressing room will obviously help. But, you know, I'm in the same boat with you. It's like uh, he's a good backup backup option so yeah, yeah. Um, I feel sorry for him more than anything with I mean he must hate Pep he probably has a dartboard <laughs> oh throws. my god yeah that's probably why he's got to, to be with Mourinho so because like Mourinho they can just sit and talk about how much they hate Pep together so uh, so so um, I think we have to kind of talk about where uh, the, the, the crazy carries on at Everton right now I think we, we'd be amiss not to mention them too so um, what did you think of the this week I guess that they've had where they've brought in a crazy amount of talent um, what, what do you think about the signs that they've made uh, Jack? Again I mean I, I, I say it like pretty much every team we're looking at but like they're not addressing their issues again like defence not addressed, right wing not really addressed, midfield okay yeah it's it's a, it's fantastic quality at least in Allen and James Rodriguez like the quality is, is clearly there to see. And they've both worked with Ancelotti before. And Ancelotti's got the best out of them both before. So I think those two are, are genuinely brilliant business. I think, the, like, again, the fees are, are low. Again, it's, it's a good signing of players. If you were, like, building a team from scratch, like, that is a, a good two players to bring in. Decore, I'm really not sure about because they already had players that could play in midfield like Davis I know he's not brilliant but like Delph like I just like I know that Decore is is better but not a lot better than them and I just still look at their right wing and I'm like Theo Walcott okay I'm not not convinced <laughs> there and I look at and I look at right back now Sidibe's like they didn't they didn't buy him for whatever reason because I think they could buy him for like seven mil or something and they just chose not to which I, I find kind of crazy because I think like he, he was solid for them and then centre back again like there's links with I think Tamori on loan I think it's it's a player that fills a hole I don't know if it's a good one and then we go, we come to big Jordan Pickford himself like I don't rate him so it's another case <laughs> of like 
Because I, th- I think before James Rodriguez signed, Decore was on the highest wage at the club. Like before, before then, and then James Rodriguez has, has usurped it. But like, I think to to spend. So they're clearly spending a lot of money on Rodriguez, and and Allen will be on the same similar amount. So those three, their wages and the money then spent on them. I think like you definitely needed to bring in one or probably two of them. I think, but then. Definitely Decore, I would have prioritised a right winger, a right back, a centre back. I mean, if Tomori's the only on loan, maybe, maybe not a centre back, because I, I think that's an OK sign. But definitely right wing, right back or goalkeeper, I would have got in for Decore. But it's another case of like, how have Watford, a relegated side, got that much for Decore? And how has Decore <laughs> managed to convince Everton to give him that much? Like, Everton should have, could have easily just said, OK, well, that's too much money for us to play a season in the championship then. And he would have lowered his... Like, I don't yeah. know how... He's, he's like, got them over a barrel somehow. And I don't quite get how. So it's, it's brilliant business from the relegated teams. Uh, uh, again, like, same as Bournemouth. But, yeah, good signings. Again, if you like I say, if you're building a team from scratch, so you have no players at all, like that's a good midfield to bring in. But given the weaknesses in their squad and that they already had some midfield, I'm I can't get that excited. But I do think we're going to see them take a, a huge step forward. And I think the signing of Ancelotti, like for years, they've been sort of trying to break into the top six, top seven, top eight, and it's just. And I think this season they have their best chance yet. But I'm not sure how much of that is the signings and how much of that is just a full season of Ancelotti. Like I think that's that's kind of fair. Like either way. Yeah, like I I think. Uh... When you look at like uh, Rodriguez and Allen, like they're certainly going to sell jerseys for them. So I mean, they'll get some of the money back that way. But it it just you're right. It it it, it just seems like another kind of owner who just wants the big names. Um, like he brought in Ancelotti, yeah. and you you know what I mean. Like and it's 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 not addressing what the manager probably wants or needs. It's just like hey, like we need to bring in marquee signings. It's like when Man City came along first and they were signing like everybody can get their hands on like Rubinho and Joe and all that kind of stuff. It, it feels that kind of way that they have somebody with a bit of money behind them and they just want to just, you know, it's, it's like a play thing that they're like, just, they just got and they're super excited and they want to play FIFA in real life kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, and and the, the other thing I would say as well is with Rodriguez, like he complained about the weather in Munich and that's why his performance was bad. So I'm not sure <laughs> he knows he's signed for, for, for a Merseyside team. And the other thing as well is, He's always played like he's a great player. We know this, but he's played with like Ronaldo and then Lewandowski and then like good players. And now he's he's playing with Dominic Calvert Lewin. Like, <laughs> it, it, like he's going to be putting through fantastic passes. And then is Calvert Lewin going to finish them? Is that going to frustrate James Rodriguez? Like, it, I don't know how he adapts. Like, it's not like adapting to the Premier League. Like, I think if he joined like Spurs or Liverpool or someone like that. Like, I think he would he would be a good player because he'd be playing around good players. I'm just concerned that, you know, when he's threading through balls to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, it's, it's not where he really saw his career going, I don't think. <laughs> you, you mean he wasn't sitting back in Colombia going, someday I'll be playing a true ball to Dominic Calvert-Lewin? <laughs> yeah, the, the Nigerian Messi, Alex Iwobi. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not quite there, you know, but I can't see it, but we'll, we'll see how he gets on. Yeah, I, I like to be honest, like, uh, like, I know quite a few Everton fans, so I really hope it works because they're super excited. Um, and I just don't want to see their little faces uh, <laughs> sad at the end of the season. So um, I just thought then we'd, we'd just kind of go through 
the teams that come up from the championship and whether they've because that seems to be a thing you always get one or one team that like recruits really well and then you get another team that just is in for the Premier League money and the parachute and are happy to go back down into the um, the championship. And speaking of that, I think Fulham are probably the ones that are looking very, very likely like that. They've only brought in um, uh, a couple of players so far, uh, Harrison Reed for Southampton and Anthony Robinson. What do you think of their chances, uh, Miles, of staying up this year? I think well, I think their their chances are actually better than West Brom's, but we'll talk about them later. Obviously, uh, Mitrovic is a Premier League quality striker, and in my opinion, I'd say he's the best player coming up from the Championship. Either him or Calvin Phillips, who I've not seen a lot of. I just know the hype surrounding him. But Mitrovic, what I think he got twenty eight goals in the Championship last year. Last time he was in the Premier League got 11 goals for a Fulham side that were woeful. Uh, they brought in uh, Knocker on a permanent, I think, and they're looking at getting Harrison Reed back in, which I don't know would be... If they can... Because they've still got Anguissa contracted to the club. If they could get Anguissa to actually want to play for Fulham, which I can imagine would be quite difficult considering, he, considering he's actually good at football... <laughs> to play for the club then I think they're sorted there I, mean, they, I just saw they brought in Ariola in goal which is such an odd signing because they've had Rodak who was one of the championship's best goalies and to spend money on Ariola's wages just seems odd I, I don't know what they're doing there I think I watched them in the playoff final bloody hell they need a centre back they looked so shaky against Brentford, and oh, they, Brentford. Are they, they were champion. rocking. Like they were like uh, they were on the ropes. Um, yeah, that, like it's it's funny. Like I mean, like the last time they came up, they spent a crazy amount of money. It was the complete opposite. They spent like like so much money on like pretty bad players. So I feel yeah. like I feel like they're probably just worried that they've been here before and they just don't want to go down that road of being stuck with players on ridiculous. Um, wages in the uh, in the championship again but I mean I'm surprised they let Steven Sessignon go I think he was like one of their better performers the last time they were in the Premier League so um, do, do you think that they're going to be able to, to stay up? I think yeah I think I, I rate Scott Parker as a manager I think he's done a great job in turning a side who sunk like a stone from the Premier League into a promoted side again. Because when you look at the squad, a lot of those players who are in there are ones who were relegated with them. So the fact that he's managed to get the morale up is incredible. And I think he's done a great job. And I think if they can keep the morale up, then they've got a good chance of staying in the league. The only thing is, I didn't know they'd let Sessignon go, but that is awful considering that right back is Dennis Adoy who is just <laughs> I mean he was he was bad last time in the Premier League he's got he's only got two years older now I think he's 31 I don't yeah, know that's, yeah. oh, that's awful <laughs> um, so um, Jack what, what what do you think of uh, West Brom's chances like I think there, I wanted to ask you this one because of the um, the, the, the stuff that seems to be going on with uh, Grady Diangana I don't know if I'm saying that last name correctly but uh, there seems to be like an awful lot of unhappy faces at West Ham with the, them selling him. Like, uh, what, can you tell us a little bit about him? 
Well, this is the thing, right? Like I've I've looked at him and he is he's 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 he was good in the championship. Like he he had a good season in the championship, but he's never proven in the Premier League. And we have a lot of wingers like uh, Felipe Anderson, Jared Bowen, Yarmolenko, which everyone seems to forget he plays for us. Um, like Lanzini covers out there for now. Apparently, David Moyes sees as a left left winger, which he isn't because he's not fast or strong, so he can't play as a winger. So. Like, I know we have sold a player that came through the youth academy, but realistically, I think we got 20 mil for him and we were linked with 20 mil straight away on Ben Rama. And Ben Rama from Brentford had a better year in the championship. I know he's not like homegrown from the club or whatever, but he, he's a better player. And I know he, I think he's also like a year, a couple of years older than, than Diangana. But I think that still, regardless of that, if he would be an upgrade, but I don't think we need another winger. I actually think selling Diangana, I, look, I would have liked to have kept Diangana. I would have liked to have sold Philippe Anderson, but nobody wanted Philippe Anderson. The best we were getting was offers from Arsenal to take him on loan, which felt strange at the time, given they have a Bamiang left wing. But <laughs> so they, they, but like no one wanted to buy him. So if someone, and we don't have any money, like COVID has hit us really hard. David Moyes was sold at the start of the season. It's zero. It's, it's a bank balance of zero. Like, you to buy you have to sell so if and we desperately need a fullback on both sides so badly I, I just I can't express how badly we need fullbacks and so if we sold him for 20 and then brought like a fullback for 10 mil on each side I genuinely wouldn't see that as that bad I would have rather we'd sold one of the other wingers but nobody wanted them and West Brom at least wanted Diangana I think he's I think he's good like I think he's a good player but I don't know, like, he's not, for me, he's not worth to West Ham two fullbacks that we so desperately need because Ryan Fredericks is not a footballer. He's a sprinter. Like, he's just in the wrong profession. Like, he's, <laughs> he's, joined, the, he's joined West Ham thinking he's, he's joined the, the Olympic Stadium to, to just do laps around the circuit. Like, he's, he's in the wrong profession. Like, get, get, get on the running track. He's fine, I'm sure. But he cannot play football. So... I, I can't I can't take him and then Aaron Cresswell he, he's just out of his depth he can hit a free kick like that's 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 nice but we can't just just have a man on on the pitch for free kicks so I I can't stress how badly I'm desperate for us to sign a fullback I don't think like Mark Noble coming out and saying like what are we doing I I I think that I was shocked when I saw it because I'm like the last thing we need now like the the fans already hate the owners which. I personally think is a little bit unfair, but we don't really need to get into that because they spend a lot of money. They just buy the wrong players, but it's not really their fault. Like Philippe Anderson, when we signed him, Haller, when we signed him, they were good signings at the time. They've just flopped, but the board weren't to know that, but that's for another time, I guess. Like, so I just think those players coming out and bringing more, like, I mean, I've seen it described as like civil war in the club. Like, I'm like, this is not what we need ahead of like a season when <laughs> we are in a relegation battle, especially if we don't sign fullbacks. I mean, I'd like us to buy a, 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 a striker to play with Haller. I, I'm not even thinking of that at the minute because I'm so desperate for fullbacks. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's quite, it's quite bizarre. Um, I mean, you, you asked about West Brom. I think, their their team. Well, I mean, we when we did our post about them, we said we thought they were the weakest of the promoted teams in terms of personnel, and we got a lot of backlash from West Brom fans. I didn't know there were so many of them, but they were like, "Oh, <laughs> it's you know, just Frank second. Skinner. It's just Frank Skinner on different accounts. That's all." It yeah. <laughs> so, so they're going, "Oh, you know, we, we finished second or whatever. We, how can you say we're worse than Fulham?" But I just think personnel-wise, a midfield. Can any 
team trying to stay in the Premier League with Jake Livermore at centre mid needs to have a, have, a, have a word with themselves. And so I just think they haven't really strengthened. Like I think Mateus Pereira signing on, like he's just made his loan permanent and Dean Garner making his loan permanent. It keeps more of the side together. But uh, I think they needed... I think they need a, a right back, a couple of centre mids, and, and maybe maybe a left winger as well to to really like if they sign. I mean, that's loads of players. Then I, I know, but like I think those positions are particularly weak for them. And I don't think that even signing even the signing of Diangana, I don't think is like enough to definitely like. I, I don't think it's enough for them to be competitive personally. But um, yeah, yeah, I think. We'll, um, like like today they today or yesterday they brought in Callum Robinson from um, Sheffield United who's who literally only just signed for for them he's like he's an Irish international but he doesn't score goals that's the problem like they brought him in as a striker but he doesn't score goals um, and they've let Oliver Burke go the other way to Sheffield United and I don't think they've ever given Oliver Burke a fair shake at the club and he, he's a really good player so it's it, it is kind of odd what they're doing. It looks like they haven't spent all that much money apart from the Ghana. And um, yeah, I, th- I honestly think they're going to struggle myself. So I, 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 for- I can't believe I've forgotten it. Their, their top goal scorers last year were Charlie Austin and Hal Robson Carney. So they, they do need a striker. Um, I just, like you said, I don't know if Callum Robinson's the, the man, but um, yeah, I think Charlie Austin and Robson Carney got 10 goals each. 11. And, uh, 11 goals each. And like, they're not they're not Premier League quality, surely. So I think there's just there's so many areas in the squad. I do like this is one of the the, the few teams that I I think have actually strengthened. You know they needed a Pereira, they needed to make that permanent. They needed a right winger if they didn't sign Diangana, but they've they've ended up signing him. But there's just too many issues. I do one thing I will say is I do think Slavan Bilic is like I think all the promoted managers are better than some of the managerial talent in the Premier League. Like I think all the promoted managers are better than David Moyes, for example. <laughs> so I think that, like, I do think Slavan Bilic is a good manager. And I think West Ham have now been clearly, like, quite clearly proven wrong that he was, he, he's better than David Moyes is. But, like, and he's better than Pellegrini was. I get why we sacked him because we were struggling at the time. But I think he, he's their, their hope, I guess. He's their biggest hope. Like Mitrovic is, is a massive thing for Fulham to stay up. I think having Bilic is a massive thing to help West Brom stay up and they're going to need him to pull out a miracle, frankly. But, yeah. So, uh, the, the last of the promoted sides then um, is uh, is Leeds. And they've been pretty pretty busy, actually, in, um, in what they've done. Like, I mean, they brought in, which I think is an incredible sign, they brought in Rodrigo from Valencia for 26 million and... Uh, Helder Costa um, from Wolves for 16, and then they brought Jack Harrison back to back from Man City. So they've they've been busy, and I think they've brought like they've got a Premier League quality striker, which is something that they they, they probably needed. Um, but it just shows you the shit show that's gone on in Valencia right now that they're like literally like just shutting up shop. And it, you know, I feel like they they I feel like the players feel like Gary Neville's coming back to manage them or something, so they're just trying to get the fuck out of there as quick as they can. But yeah, so I, I think out of all the teams that come up, I think Leeds are probably going to be the strongest uh, because they've had they have money to spend. Um, what, what did you think of the, their recruitment there, Miles? Uh, well, first of all, I'd like to say if anyone's interested in the shit show going on at Valencia, you should check out our most recent post. But um, 
for the re- regarding recruitment, Rodrigo. Just, just, I just want to, I just want to stop you there for a second. Okay, I plugged your fucking Instagram thing at the beginning of the show. Stop trying to plug your fucking thing on my show. <laughs> I'm joking. Go ahead. <laughs> um, first of all, Rodrigo, the 26 mil, great. He had a crap year last season. I think he scored about five goals or something, which wasn't great. But Valencia was. Oh, it, it, it wasn't pretty. So getting him in, I think he's 28, 29. He's a good age. But more importantly, getting someone who's not Patrick Bamford up front. <laughs> because I'm fat, man. he's so awful. I'm sorry. He's so, so bad. Oh, I love it. <laughs> it's untrue. Like, I, uh, I, don't, I don't know how how he's playing for them. I don't know how Marcelo Bielsa puts up with it. Cause I think he... His expected goals, he was down on it by about 10. He missed so many chances. So to get Rodrigo in, that's great for them. Uh, I think they've, they've got some German centre-back. I can't remember his name. Uh, in instead of Ben White, which is uh, another good piece of business. Cause what, that, um, um, Robin Cook? Yeah, that's, that's it. That's <laughs> it. Sorry, um, I'm so childish. I laughed at that. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Because uh, Brighton wanted, what, 30 mil for Ben White, which is just ridiculous for a player who's not played Premier League football. That would be worse than Ake for 40 million. And then <laughs> uh, the the midfield is, is good. Calvin Phillips, I mean, he's already got his England debut and he's not played a Premier League minute, which is impressive. So he's got to be doing well. But I think the most important piece of the puzzle is Marcelo Bielsa. He's a world-class manager. And he he's clearly, not only is he a great manager, but you can clearly see with the recruitment they're making, the board is behind him and he's got pulling power that none of the other clubs have. Like if, if someone says, okay, do you want to play for Leeds United under Marcelo Bielsa or West Brom under Slaven Bilic or Fulham under Scott Parker? Marcelo Bielsa sticks out like a sore thumb there. Uh, I, th- I think it's also like, obviously like Leeds with their history too. Like, I mean, like Leeds are, you know, a huge club and um, th- that's also, it's a shame that's taken them this long to get back into the Premier League. And I think that has to have something to do with it too, that, you know, you're playing for a, a team of the calibre of Leeds, so it's going to be a big pull and power for them too. So, um, yeah, it's it, it's. Uh, I I had to read your thing about Valencia because I, I didn't actually miss that post, but um, yeah, I, I just love to know yeah. what the fuck, fuck is going on there. I know I feel terrible. It, it just it boggles my mind what the hell's going on there. Anyway, um, so let's. Uh, I just think to finish up the show, uh, we'll just do our who we think is going to finish in the top four and then who we think is going to get relegated. So, Jack, I'm going to start with you. Who's going to be your top four? Uh, my top four, I think, obviously, Man City and Liverpool in there won't surprise anyone, but I've actually got them second and third. City second, Liverpool third. I've got Chelsea winning the Premier League. I think their quality signings are just are, are too good and I think they're going to blow, blow the league away. Uh, especially, obviously, yeah, that is conditional on them replacing probably the worst goalkeeper I've ever seen of Kepa. Um, so that, that is conditional on that. And I've actually got Spurs uh, sneaking in in fourth. I think Mourinho's second season does really well um, traditionally. I think the signings he's brought in, um, I think, have addressed areas that they, that they they need to fix in the squad. So, yeah, I, I've got Spurs sneaking in there. Again, United, if they sign Sancho and a left-back, before the window closes, because I think I think the window closes like next month. Like it's it's so far away. So yeah. if they sign them, 
I would probably say United maybe have the edge. But yeah, as I said earlier, Arsenal, not not in that conversation for me. So yeah, that, my top four, Chelsea, City, Liverpool, Spurs in that order. And you, Miles? Well, incredibly, I've actually got the same top four as Jack. Wow. Uh, but but not in the same order. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I think uh, that uh, City are going to win the league because I think Pep, Pep Guardiola is the best manager in the world and in my opinion is the best manager of all time. But that's, that's not something that I'll, I'll discuss at the moment. I think they've got great squad depth. I think, as, as we said earlier, they do need to make a few signings. But when you look at them man for man, they are superior to Liverpool. And I know Liverpool have Klopp, who, you know, king of hugging. He gets everyone hyped up. But I just think City are too good. With Kevin De Bruyne, I mean, he's, he's, he's the best midfielder in the world. I think they have to win the league for me. Then uh, second... I have Chelsea, as Jack said, signings absolutely brilliant. I wouldn't be surprised if Werner competed for the Golden Boot. Uh, Liverpool third. I just, I just think with them not spending any money, it's just I, don't, I, I can't see them keeping up all of all of this because if they, they've they've got so lucky over the last two seasons that none of their key players have been injured, and I think this this season, surely one of their key players has to get injured. They can't play that many games in a row and not have a problem. And I think as soon as they do, if whether it's Van Dijk or one of the front three or even Henderson, I just think they're going to suffer a lot. And then fourth, I initially had United and then I, I watched the documentary and <laughs> I, I've got to back Jose now because <laughs> watching Jose, like the, the charisma that man has and the way that he can amp up a dressing room, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is never going to do that. He's, I mean, Solskjaer, people, people think United are going to be great, but they had a, an awful first half of the season. They got good because Bruno Fernandes came in, not because Solskjaer did anything good. And I don't think he can keep them going at a good rate for the whole season. And they just got into the top four, basically, because everyone else, was, apart from Liverpool, was terrible last season. So I've gone, my, my top four is a little bit different. Uh, I've gone with, um, it was a tough one because I think that Chelsea have brought in a lot of big pieces, but I just think it's going to take them a time, like a while to gel uh, because they've brought in so much at the same time. And I, I think that, uh, I think Liverpool, I still think that Liverpool are just, they're, they're still in their prime. So I think that Liverpool are going to win it again. Um, I think that uh Man City will come second, Chelsea will come third, and then fourth will be Man United. I just think that United, I know that it's probably not because of Ollie, but I think that they've recruited some really good players. And it, like, if they can keep everybody injury free, especially Pogba, I think that they'll they're, they're just better than what Tottenham are. Like, I just think that Tottenham for the last little bit haven't recruited the the world class players that we need to take us to that next level. Like Matt Doherty is a great player, Hoiberg is a good player, but they're not world class. They're like good Premier League players. Um and I, I just don't think that we're going to be good enough to break the, into the top four. Um, I think this year is probably going to be like the, the, the closest Premier League in, in a while in in the, the the fact of the top four. I don't think we're going to see teams burst off and like just win the, the way that Liverpool did like last year. I think it's going to be a lot tighter this year. 
Um, so coming to your uh, my favourite part, uh, your relegation uh, candidates. Uh, who did you go for, Miles? Uh, bottom has to be West Brom. <laughs> there is no way they're not going down. They're the season I... Norwich. <laughs> Love it. Who else is going to join them? Uh, Palace, 19th. They were horrific at the back end of last season. Zaha wants to leave. Whether Zaha leaves or not, his head's been turned. He wasn't brilliant last season. And if anything, he'll be worse this season because he just won't want to play. So either they need to sell him or if they don't sell him, well, he's not going to play very well. And they just don't have a striker. They've got Benteke and Ayu. But Ayu scored nine goals last season and everyone was saying how well he'd done. That's, That's the level they're at. It's it's just horrific. And then they've got Sorloth out on loan at some Turkish side, and I, I don't think he's coming back. Eze is a decent signing, but I just think, you look at the age of their squad, they've got in defence like Cahill, Tompkins, Scott Dan. They're so old. It's like watching Jurassic Park. Well, I, I think it's because Roy Hodgson is so old that they appear young to him, so... <laughs> it's all relative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, who, who else is going to uh, who else is going to join them uh, I think Aston Villa just because Jack Grealish can't carry them again <laughs> I saw they signed Ollie Watkins today which I've got I haven't revised my table since then but equally I just don't think Jack Grealish can run as hot as he did for the whole of last season their actual squad is just not good enough and with Heaton still out they've got Nyland starting in goal now, the only thing I know about Nylon is that he caught the ball and dragged it into his own net. So I'm not hopeful for them for the first few games of the season. And I look at their team. They've got Tyro Mings as their only good defender. And then they've got Jack Grealish. And that's it. Jack, who did you go for as your, uh, your bottom three? Um, well, I mean, West Brom, bottom. Uh, I, can't, I cannot disagree. I just, I, yeah, I've got them bottom as well. And then I differ quite, quite, quite massively. So 19th, uh, I think this will sound controversial, but it's not actually that controversial. I've, I've gone with Newcastle because I don't, last year on expected points, they, they were below Norwich. So they overperformed like massively. And I don't, back Steve Bruce to do that again. If you'd watched at the start of the season, they were very good defensively because they remembered what Rafa had taught them. It's now been 12 months since Rafa taught them anything and they've now only got Steve Bruce's training, which I don't back at all. So I've gone with them going down. I think uh, with Wilson and Fraser coming in, like they both played for Bournemouth last year and got relegated. Like They couldn't keep Bournemouth up. And the rest of the players around them at Bournemouth, I think, are better than the players around them at Newcastle. So I don't think they're good enough, like those two as additions to the Newcastle team that's already there, to keep them up. So I, I to be honest, before those signings, I did have them bottom below West Brom, but I've, I've moved them up one place. Um, and I just... They're so bad. And they were so bad last year. And there's only so many times that you can grind out a lucky 1-0 and not concede or and 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 score like in that lucky lucky fashion and I think their luck's going to run out and then I actually have a lot more faith in Crystal Palace because I think Ollie Watkins is a great signing so I've got them surviving and in their place this is this is probably my most controversial one of, of Sheffield United oh um, okay because I just think like if if I look at their players again and the players around them I know the system is is it only works at, at 
at Sheffield United. And I know that like if you took any of their players out, they wouldn't work in other teams with like the overlapping centre backs or whatever. But post lockdown, they were actually quite poor, and it's like they were they were in contention for Europe. But before they, before the post lockdown, but before the lockdown, but then nobody thought really that they like Leicester. Everyone's like looked at how bad they fell off because they were actually in it. Whereas Sheffield United, it was going to be overperformance to get them in. So nobody's really focused on it, but they were actually really quite poor. And I think teams are just going to work them out. I think there's going to be like a sort of second, they've not really strengthened enough. Or, I mean, the thing is, any player they bring in, I'm not going to know the name of anyway, because I don't know any of their current players. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to know who's a new signing and who's who's been there for five years. Like, and I just think there's only so much that Wilder can do with a squad that that played League One. Like, a lot of these players were in League One with them to to be in the Premier League. And I think that they're getting massively overlooked. Like last year, everyone was like 20th for them, and then they've overperformed like quite a lot. And I think this year they could fall off. But what I will say is, um, just going back to West Ham, unfortunately, uh, our opening run of fixtures, I think it's up to like the eighth, eight, eighth week. I could genuinely see us getting zero points from the games. Like, I think we've got like Liverpool, City, United. Like we, we start with Newcastle and then after that, it's horrible. And I could see with the atmosphere already being bad because of the players calling out the board and whatever, our fan base get on the back of the team like, a lot really quickly and I could easily see us if we've got zero points off, off, off of those eight games I could see us getting properly dragged into this relegation battle especially if one of those teams that I've said go down start well and just and get up like if they're just 10 points clear after those eight games of us they're just gonna they're, that's just I don't even see if we can make that up and so I do I genuinely do worry about West Ham this year and I, I really hope I'm wrong but I would say as an outside shout they're sort of like the team I have 17, like on the on the brink, purely based off, off of how well or badly we start. How, how about you? Who have you got going down? So I've got um, Fulham being last. I just think that they just haven't recruited anybody of, of, of note, really. Um, and they just, it's going to be the same as the last time, I think. So I've got them last. Uh, West Brom, same thing again. Like they, they just haven't, like it's it's a tough gig going up from the championship to the to, to the premiership and trying to catch up with the squads that the people have there because it, it's such a catch-22 because you, you, you try not to spend that much money on your championship in case you don't go up. And then obviously you don't want to spend all that money when you go to the Premier League in case you, you don't stay up, right? So they, you're kind of just buying middling players and the work for Sheffield United last year, I just don't think that West Brom and Fulham can do a Sheffield United. And I hate to say this, but I, I just think that West Ham are just a shit show, my friend. I, I just, 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 it carries on. Like there was like a weird, like little uh, group chat messagey thing there the other day about Karen Brady going in and freaking out with David Moyes and doors being slammed and, shouting up through doors and, and all this kind of shit about um, players being let go and stuff like that. So I, I just think that it, it just seems like it's an awful like soap opera right now with Sam. And I think, unfortunately, that they're probably going to be uh, the, the third ones go down. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting season. I'm really looking forward to it. Like, it's, gonna, it's good to have the Premier League back. It's obviously going to be different until fans are coming back in again. Um, but, yeah, um, I really appreciate you guys hanging out and uh, talking football with me. It's, it's great. I've been just talking Canadian Premier League like for like the last 
two months and I just feel like really rusty. So it's kind of good to, to talk about my first love, uh, the Premier League. So thanks a lot, guys. I, I really appreciate it. Um, don't forget to check them out at, um, at row underscore said underscore football. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for some of the best content on Instagram. It's a lot of fun. Their quizzes every day are great. The in-depth uh, stuff you did for um, the, the, the Premier League as well was fantastic. Um, so keep up the great work and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks very much. Thanks for having Thanks us, buddy. Much. No worries. Take care, guys. Cheers. Bye. So uh, welcome to the second part of the Down the Pub podcast where we are doing our usual humble pie uh, player ratings. Um, this time is for the game against Forge. Normally we don't put officials on this, but the officials, like the official will be getting a pie rating at the end of this because, yeah, <laughs> um, it, uh, I, I don't know. Like, the thing is that the team played really, really badly and uh, they... They drew one one, and you take the win, and you move or the, the point, and you move on. Great, but kind of for it to happen that way, eh, just these are sour well, t- sour taste in the mouth. The whole the whole the whole league is talking about it. Everybody is is agreeing with that it wasn't a penalty. So we just we don't need to go deep in it because it was a, a, oh. a bunch of bullshit, the bull crap, you know. Yeah. Poor, poor officiating from the referee. Um, as I tweeted, I think like she got glaucoma. And she's colorblind or something. That, <laughs> that she shouldn't be refereeing again because that was a huge robbery. But um, that's the Wonder fan coming out of me. And from the objective side, that was bullshit. That wasn't a penalty either. So let's just, <laughs> let's just move on with the yeah. ratings. And at the end, she doesn't even deserve a frozen pie. Oh, no. Like, uh, yeah, we, we'll, we'll work out something. Uh, so uh, Christian Oxner. Um, for me, uh, he had a, another decent game. He was pretty uh, – he's, he's very commanding of his box and stuff like that. The only – he sometimes has a rush of blood to the head. And for the the, 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 the chip that almost went in, um, it kind of reminded me of that flying tackle that he did like last year. I can't remember who it was against when he like nearly took somebody's head off. Um, so he just has these kind of little moments. But, you know, like for those little moments, that like what he does for the team, He's phenomenal. So I'm going to give him a 7 out of 10. It was a very solid game from him. So uh, what about you? 7-2. I mean, uh, who goalkeeper is not crazy, man? Yeah, it's <laughs> you, true, yeah. You got to be a little bit nuts, you know, uh, to be a goalkeeper. You know, it's the longest position <clears throat> ever. So you got to have those irrational moments every here and there, sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. It was an irrational moment, and, and but it's fine. Like, I mean, we were really lucky that it wasn't a goal. But I also blame the, the two center backs that, uh, you know, one stay, one go up, not both. You know, I, I guess it was the adrenaline of the game trying to get the two on, but it's just rule. It's the rule, you know? Yeah, you got to keep your discipline. Moving on to uh, Alex, Alex the Carolis. Uh, what did you give Alex? Alex <laughs> had a great, great match. Uh, to be honest, um, Mateo did too. Um, I, I don't know why Alex was up. Maybe it was a tactical decision of Stephen Hart. 
maybe Mateo gave you more offensive tactics, but I feel like Alex had a great, great match. Like he was very secure, uh, very confident in the game. Another shift, good shift for him. I give him 7.5 pies. Nice. Um, I, I totally agree. I think he had a, a solid a solid game. Um, the defense was put under an awful lot of pressure because of the way we were playing. Solid game. Seven points for me for Alex. Great game. Um, so let's go across the back line. Um, next one, let's go to the wall. Uh, James, Jeffard. Uh, I'm going to give him it's another, like, just got it done, you know? He's just, he's just, he's our most reliable. Him and Peter, Peter was a little bit wobbly at the beginning, but James has just been at it from the beginning, and um, we're lucky to have him. It was a very shrewd pickup from the team, so I'm going to give him eight pies. I think he had a great game. How about you? I will give him eight pies, but I'm giving him seven because that craziness that we're talking about, Oxner, uh, we all know he's an offensive. He almost had one, he hit a, in a corner. It was a set piece that he hit a with a head and he almost scored, but it wasn't. It wasn't that he almost scored, but it was just close enough. That was good, but I mean, I've been seeing that he was a kind of player that he stayed on the box and Peter goes forward. And I feel like if he, in that moment that, that they almost scored, that we were lucky, I feel like he should be in, stay not in the box but a little bit outside you know trying to stop so that's why i'm not giving him eight pies i'll give him seven but solid shift so far yeah um next moving on to uh peter um what did you get peter peter shala gave him seven pies solid shift uh at the beginning was a little bit not wobbly but i will say i feel maybe it was the adrenaline of the of the early score that we did that maybe, you know, because normally when we start a match, we are the team that normally waits for the rival to come in, come in, and then we wait for them, and then we attack. It's kind of like the style development that we're having. So, I don't know. Uh, maybe it was that. Maybe it wasn't. But then he got a, he got a great match. So, I'm giving him seven. Seven pies. So, as Chris said – on the last one, that uh, he's the president of the Louis fan club. I think I, I'm going to be the president of the Peter fan club because I, I just he just does so much in the team. Like I mean, like he kind of keeps everything together at the back, and we were under an, an awful lot of like pressure. I know that they weren't shoot, shooting a lot of shots in the first half and all that kind of stuff, but we still needed to keep our discipline. We still needed to um, make sure that we weren't allowing them to get through. And I think Peter was just. Yeah. Just solid again, um, and give him. I'm gonna give him eight and a half points. I'm gonna take back half a point. Oh, well, don't get me wrong. Like I'm a big Peter Shaw fan. He knows that, but uh, it's just like to me, this match. It wasn't a bad match for of him. It wasn't at all. But I feel that he played better against Ottawa. I see him like a very fearless uh, Peter Shaw. You know, yeah. Uh, probably that. And I, I, I kind of feel like probably we're going to see that on the next upcoming match against Caps, but uh, seven for now. Yeah, so I'm going to give him eight and a half. Um, so moving on to our right back, uh, Mr. Ruby. I, I think we were kind of chatting a little bit at the uh, during the game and we were kind of saying he looked a little bit nervous. And I think he had a couple of First slips. First half. Yeah, and he, he had a couple of slips. Well, I mean, when the penalty went against them, he he didn't let his head drop. He uh, he stuck at his task, and I think he had a, an actually an actually a regal game. So I'm yeah. going to give him seven pies. Yeah, to me there were two rubies. Uh, 
against Forge. It was a first half Ruby and a second half Ruby. He had that Alex Marshall effect that, you know, <laughs> that we've been seeing that. I feel like maybe he got to talk with the players. Maybe he was, uh, Stephen Hart told him like, look, you look a little bit nervous because he seemed a little bit nervous because I see him on the first half that he was shadow following the players and never recovers. And probably I'm used to Chris Ensa that he, I know that he's going to get the ball or he's going to throw it at least to the, you know, to the sideline. But I saw Ruby just like not getting dribbled, but just like pushing them, pushing them. But he had to recover something. He was good anticipating moves, but I saw him a lot of shadow following on the first half. Second half, completely different Jake Ruby. He was just very offensive. Regardless of the penalty that it was bullshit, um, it wasn't his fault at all. He had uh, two hands. You know, what was he supposed to be? Like play with no arms in the whole game? Yeah. So, he played great. Like he went offensively. He, I, I feel like Steven asked him to be more offensive, you know, to, to have those hints that ends uh, we've been seeing that he goes all the way up, you know, and then he makes a crossing. And yeah, like I'm giving uh, Ruby seven pies. Nice. So uh, let's move on to uh, Rampy next. Uh, what did you give Rampy? Rampy is always solid. Uh, 7.5 pies for him double cheese uh, another great one he seemed a little bit tired with the legs but with the adrenaline of the 1-1 one, one, like that disappeared like he really wanted to to make things happen at the beginning I saw uh, that was a a, a a good tactic from Smiotics like he was surrounded by 3-4 players because they, they pretty much knew that he's kind of like the backbone of the team you know the spine and there were a lot of players keeping an eye on him, you know? And after that, just like he started like being him and, and excellent, excellent game, 7.5 pies. There, were, there, was a, uh, there was a bit in the first half when he, did, he spinned away from like two Forge players and it was amazing. It was very- yeah, that was class. That was, he had marked himself from that. That's just pure yeah. tactic and technique, you know? That's, that's just... And he, he did the same, he did something similar in the second half too. And obviously Steven moved him from being like a six up, in, up to the 10 in the, for the last little bit. Um, you know you know who does that a lot? Sissoko too. Yeah. Um, I, I think Rappi actually played really good in the 10. So, I mean, like he, it, it's it's another option for uh, for Steven if, if, you know, if, if he needs to. Um, I, I kind of watched a bit of the game back today and I, I don't know if you remember, right at the end, there was a penalty shout when Rampy went through on the box and then somebody kind of stuck a leg out. I think it was Cruton and he kind of went over. And then one soccer never showed the replay of it. So we, we, nobody will ever know if that was ever going to be a penalty or not. But um, he, it was an all-action display. I, I think he's a fantastic player. Yeah, he, he, he was playing as a false, as a false nine. Yeah. Eh? Like, no, I mean, like behind the number nine, like he, he played that. He ended up playing like that. I, 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 I like that. I like the offensiveness that he showed. After the 70 minute, he yeah. was offensive. Maybe it was a tactic instruction by Stephen Hart, but it was great. 7.5 for me too. Um, moving on to our good friend, LBG. So um, I, I, it was a better game for him. Like um, I, I think he has a much improved display. He still has these like little moments of uh, lacks of concentration where the ball will come to him and he'll go to put his foot and he'll run past him or something like that because he takes his eye off it. It's just like little niggly things like that that can end up costing, especially coming into the, the last 
phase of um, the championship. There was another couple of stray passes as well in the second half. And I'm being highly critical. And I just think people probably think that we're being overly critical of, of LBG. But the reason is, is because we know how good he is. And when people have a high standard and they're not playing to that standard, you have to say something because that's, that's, that's the way it is. Like, you know, it's, it is what it is. Um, but I, I, he's steadily getting better as, as it goes on. So I, I'm going to give him six and a half plays. Seven pies. Nice. It's a Seven huge pies. That's a to huge, me, yeah, it's a huge uh, uplift from the last time. So Yeah, to me, he played good. Um, there were a little bit of passes that he did a little bit. He used too much power that if they were really smooth, we probably concede chances to get and penetrate the box. Uh, there were a couple passes that I saw him that he did a little bit extra that I was like, yeah, just a little bit smooth, you know, probably concede the chance or something. But he did a great, a great job tactically. He tackled when he had to. He didn't over tackle like every match that I've been seeing him. Um, he did. He did a great match. He didn't do amazing, but he did a great match. A solid shift, and I'm happy to see him. That the way that he's 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 coming back. You know, it's gonna take him a little bit of time. I feel like if this tournament was longer, by three more, two more matches, we'll see probably the old school LBG that we all, all want to see. So I give him a seven pies. So. Yeah, so I have to praise when 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 something is good and something is bad. Um, I, I I don't know if I if I'm good. I, I don't if I'm right or if I'm wrong. But uh, it's what I think. Yeah. And if I criticize him in the past, is because I think he he wasn't delivering for the for the for the squad. But I like what I saw on that match, regardless of the result. So seven pies for Louis Belango. Yeah, nice. Um, so moving into um, the, the uh, kind of the curveball that Stephen threw in, in the lineup was uh, uh, Kanumbe um, out on the, the left wing. Um, he played against Forge the last time and didn't. He didn't have a good game. And I, I think part of it was because he'd come back from injury. Um, I knew he got hooked at halftime. This time he was so much better. Like he had a, he had a very solid game. He was like causing a lot of trouble. You can see that he's technically a very good player because of that little dance move that he did <laughs> in the box when he kind of beat two that, players. That, it really upset me because he did he dribble everybody, but he wanted to go like full Neymar there, like you know he wanted to <laughs> dribble everybody, and it was too much. Like you gotta know that you know in 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 a match like this, uh, when we were uh, we were uh, like tied in that that was after the one one. Um, they were who was there? There were two players that he could uh, have options to pass. That was, in, that, was, that was in the first half. That would have made it uh, two 0 Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was before the before the the penalty. Yeah, so we could just like seal the deal. You know, it's forged. You know, and I don't know. Maybe we 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 could we we got there the two zero because I saw two players there. They were ready, ready, ready to shoot like one shot and probably will probably have scored one. Uh, I didn't like that thing because there's certain moments that when you have to you have to secure that that the, the match you know um i don't know like to me he got six buys i, I gave him seven I, I think he had a very yeah. solid game and um, i think he didn't have a bad game though yeah. don't, don't get me wrong it's just like that thing 
that 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 a little bit like not selfishness i will say but he there's moments that you have to do that because i i want to see him doing that you know breaking hips making everybody dance you know i like that but there's moments that when you do it too much you gotta just hold your brakes a little bit you know i think i think it's it might be as well that um you know, like he probably panicked a little bit because he's 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 normally like a defender, right? Um, yeah. And he's playing in a position he's not used to, and suddenly you've beaten two players, you're in the box, and you're he probably just because it happens so not fast. His position, though. Yeah, and he's probably just went like fucking hell. I, I better I better do something here. So yeah, I, I think he's a solid game. I I I really appreciate his work rate. His work rate was amazing. So six for you, seven for me. Um, moving on to Omar, what did you think of Omar's uh, contribution? Omar was good. I feel like he had a tactical role in this match. He was just like opening, opening the the spaces so we could have like more pockets created by other players. I feel like Omar can give us more. I feel like it, this is not the Omar. I feel like you know that we were like talking about LBG too. I feel like Omar can give us more. I feel that he he's a player that can can give us more. Uh, he didn't have a bad game, but he didn't have a spectacular game too. I want to see the Omar at the play against York. I know he got like 20 minutes only, but in 20 minutes he made a difference. He make everybody, he make a difference. You know, normally when you have a sub that is really good, it normally takes him like three, four, five minutes to just to, to make feel his presence on the field. That game against York, it was just right away. I know we were one goal uh, behind, so we wanted to tie it, and we did it. He did amazing. But I feel like I want to see that aggressive aggressiveness of Omar in the game, you know? He has it. He's a talented player. He's very shifty. So I want to give him seven pies. I agree, Jay. I, I think seven pies is a very fair score. He um, he had a couple of nice like little moments. Like You can definitely see he's a very skillful player, and he's probably mm-hmm. – along with um, Akeem, like one of the best players at shielding the ball. And there was a couple of times when like people were trying to get the ball off him and he just has that like little knack of being able to put his body in the right position. So like he's definitely got the skill. Um, I'm, I'm still like, I think in this game, I think that maybe after the last game, Stephen had a board with him about making sure he sticks to the task and making sure that yeah. Jake is being covered because... And this is what I wanted to tell you too, because I saw so much nervousness on, on Jake on the first half that Omar has to be playing a little bit more behind that he was supposed to, just to give that confidence to Jake, you know? But in the second half, we start gaining more attack to the right side because Jake was a little bit more forward. He had a, a better match than the first half and Omar was a little bit more around you know he started creating causing a little bit more of spaces over there yeah and I think as well like his uh his defensive work rate he, he wasn't drifting in as much as what he normally does like I, I think mm-hmm. uh the last the last game and especially this game he stuck to the wing and I think it's probably just a Steven or Mezu has probably had like a bit of one-to-one time with him to show him kind of what he needs to do and not have that blinkered approach where you just kind of run into the middle because that's where you're used to. So, yeah, I think it's a very solid game and uh, well done. Um, so, moving on to the uh, the return of the king, uh, Joe Morelli himself. What, what did you make of uh, Joe's fantastic, <laughs> amazing return to the team? <laughs> well, let me tell you something. Um, Joao had a different role in that match against Forge. He was the king of the high pressure. Yep. And I feel that 
when we sub him, we lost that. And when we lost that, that's when Forge started doing increasing and getting momentum on the game. And that's when they start attacking the moss, you know? I feel that you all should have stayed at least until the 80 minute because that guy was well rested and full of energy and he was doing things right. He gave Akeem uh, an assistant. I was like, where's Joel play? But then I started like looking because you know, on, t on TV always you don't see, but then I started like analyzing what he was doing on the field. He was just like causing trouble over there, high pressure on everybody, even the goalkeeper, you know? There was a point when he was sad that I don't see that from the players and that was just like driving me nuts and because we got fresh legs on the game with all these subs and the fact that they were just like waiting for them in three thirds of the pitch and not doing high pressure that really frustrates me I almost break my TV because it was just really painful <laughs> to watch it was like throwing bleach into my eyes I was like why we don't pressure you know um, Joel was doing great was doing great doing that and because he was doing that, we were causing a lot of errors in the defensive of Forge. Forge was so, 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 so clumsy uh, with those passes. And the fact that they were so clumsy, I, I, I was expecting a little bit more from, from the forwards, just like to block one of those and concede more chances. After Joao left, that's when Forge started increasing their chances to score against us. And they pretty much have this. In, in our field too, so I'm gonna give Joao Morelli a pies. So I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, I think the reason why he was probably taken off is because it's not his usual game. Um, his usual game isn't high intensity running down players, and I think he was mm -hmm. probably just fucked. To be perfectly honest, like yeah, he just put in he put in like such a, a hard shift that I think that maybe he, was, he just got gas because although he's been off for two games like it, it, there is so many games come so quickly that it, it, you know it, it's going to affect a dirty job yeah and he put like and you can't fault his effort and once again like the, the thing with Joe I, I find sometimes and I'm sure people will disagree with me but I just I feel sometimes he's always trying to do the the spectacular pass you know what I mean like he always has to try and do something that's kind of you know because it's the Brazilian in him right it's, it's what he yeah. wants to do he, he wants to do it for the poster you know for yeah. the Panini for the Panini sticker you know when they exactly. take the snap of the picture boom you know yeah like the, the highlight perfectly he wants to be in the highlight reel and it's like yeah there's a couple of times when there was a few, uh, like some passes that could have just gone out to the wing or like uh, there's one that I remember particularly where he tried to play in a keen and it was never going to work but it's that but that's the kind of player he is and for him to go from being a normal number 10 where you're kind of just a luxury player to putting in the shift he did, like, I mean, it was incredible. Um, so I'm going to give him eight points as well. I think uh, he set the first goal and his work rate was phenomenal. And I think we definitely saw a different side to his game, which was uh, great to see. So the, 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 the talent that he has, it's, it's amazing. But uh, it's always good in every squad to have a wild card. And I feel like our wild card is Joao. You know, he needs to st to stuck into a tactic that the manager tells you to do. But at the same time, there's managers that give you enough tactics and say, okay, do what you want. G give them freedom, you know. Yeah. And I feel like he needs a little bit more freedom, but always applying that to the tactic that Stephen Hart says it. And I feel like we could just have better chances, I guess. 
I think yeah, I, I think the like Stephen's approach doesn't allow for that kind of floater, which is a very bad term because it sounds like poo, but it's uh, just like that kind of person that just kind of sits in and has that little bit of freedom. It just doesn't suit uh, Stephen's tactics, but I think that JL is really working hard to adapt to the way that Stephen wants to play the game and you just can't fault his work rate. It was incredible. Um, so moving on to the man of the moment. I, as I said, I was going to give Peter my pe- mat- man of the match and then I was like, fucking hell. What about Hakeem? Um, like, geez, like he, he had a really good chance before he scored it because we put them under pressure again and um, he had like a shot that hit the side net or something like that. Um, but the finish <laughs> for that goal was incredible. Like outside, the, outside any kid who uh, wants to learn how to be a clinical finisher, watch that. It was incredible. He, he had a guy coming in from the, the side of him um, and he was able to like just side foot um, the outside of his foot into the corner. It was a fantastic uh, goal, and once again, his work rate. The smell of the goal. That yeah, what say, you know. But, but his but his work rate as well. Like the, the, he's just a player that just runs and runs and runs and runs. Um, I I I just can't say enough good things about the guy. So um, I'm gonna give him nine pies. Um, how about you? I'm gonna give him nine pies too. You know why, Akeem is a legend for this club. Forget about what they say, as I was mentioning, he's our poster boy, as I mentioned it before. Akeem is a legend for the Wonders right now. You know, if if, if Derek Martin wants to someday like build a stadium with a, you know, we get the approval to build a stadium, he needs, he needs his monument out there, you know, like the Arsenal Stadium, they have all the legends and many stadiums around the world. Akeem is a legend for this club. What the guy is doing, it's unbelievable. He never should be benched unless he is super tired or injured. Knock on wood, never happens, but it's going to happen sometime. And he delivers. He always going to deliver. The way that he's playing for us, the way that he's scoring, I feel like Akeem just like needs to be there and do, do, do his thing, you know? Always, always he's going to score for us. He's a living legend. And most importantly, I wish sometimes that I know we're a new squad. We're starting to develop our chemistry. Whatever people and the one soccer says and people that, yeah, this club developed the chemistry really fast. We're still developing the chemistry in the pitch. We haven't done that. So to me, like, I feel like the chemistry is still developing. We start getting to know each other. These uh, island games is not enough. You know, I feel like next season it's going to be better because we're going to have an advantage and that's when the chemistry is going to really, really show. However, um, I wish that the players start knowing a little bit more Akeem. Not, not, not the returning ones like Peter Shala, Alex Carolis, Oxner. I just feel like the new guys and they know that Akeem doesn't have the high of Zlatan Ibrahimovic, you know? I see <laughs> so many long balls and the guy does it like he tries to jump, but he's not Michael Jordan to high to jump that high, you know. Ball on the ground, ball yeah. on the ground, and I feel like that chemistry he developed it with Mokaruma last season. He developed it with Luis Perea last season, uh, with Kublak last season, with Guti last season, with Koda Ida last season. So those players knew how to feed a king. If it's gonna be a long ball, it's gonna be medium, so he can just heat it up, you know. Heat it, and, and that's it. 
or but ball on the ground. That's my only request, not request, but I feel like if we start feeding our nine, because you always have to play for our for for your nine. You have to feed your nine. You need to know his movements and everything. He's our nine. He's our top scorer and one of the top contenders for the golden boot. Come on, guys. Ball on the ground. That's all I have to say. <laughs> so um, moving on to the, the substitutes, um, we, we had like a, a Haley's Comet moment where like it happens once in a generation. There was a triple substitution. So we had Kanumbe um, come off, Marshall come on, Morelli come off, Sissoko come on. Alex come off and Matteo coming off. Uh, oh, sorry, Matteo coming on and uh, all together. So just starting with Alex first. Um, I think he put in a pretty solid shift. Um, it's it's tough coming into a game like that um, because it was like so much pressure on us the whole time. Um, so I'm gonna give him six pies. What about you? Alex Marshall gave him his six pies. I feel like he was a little bit rusty this game. I saw him playing better last game. Maybe. Because there's players that feel the rust more than other ones. Not not rust, I should say, but the tiredness of the match. And I feel like Alex Marshall is one of those. Remember that that he arrived late to the squad. You know. Yeah. He he. he so we are kind of like very too. How do you say this? Not pushy, but uh, we expect too much. We know he's going to deliver, but we've got to give it time. Everybody's different. Everybody, every recovery time is different from every single player. you got players that injure more than other ones. you got players that can play games in a row, and they're going to show that tiredness, but not as much as other ones. Look at Rampi and look at King Garcia. Those guys are troopers. You know, those guys are cyborgs. Look at Peter Schala, too, you know? Look at James. So you got those players that, Yes, they're tired, but they can keep up with a chief. And Alex Marshall, it's not like them, you know? So I feel like he delivered excellent in that game until he could. You know, there were a moment that I feel like he started feeling the tiredness. Now he's going to have more time to recover, but I'll give him 6.5 pies to Alex Marshall. Moving on to Sissoko, um, he probably played the pass of the tournament. <laughs> um, he split the whole defense, and I think it rang true to Jake Ruby, I think it was, that like uh, almost yeah. No offense to Jake, because I said he had a good game, but uh, you kind of wish it had fallen just to somebody else, but it was an amazing pass, and that's what he brings to the team. Um, so I'm going to give him uh, seven pies, which is... <laughs> Which for somebody coming off the bench, I don't normally do. I normally just give like sixes, but like uh, he definitely deserved a seven just for that pass alone. I know what the pass that you're talking about, the one that he just like shifted through, like it was just yeah. perfect, you know? He just put it in his feet pretty much, oh, you know? It was just perfect. Where do you want it? Just go there? Okay, boom. Seven pies too. Like Sissoko, it's just quality. It's just what a bowler. Uh, he came from the bench and he did an excellent shift. Um, he delivered seven pies. Sweet. I'd probably uh, give him more if he had more minutes, but seven is good that's enough. That's a good good score for coming off the bench. Uh, yeah. Mateo, Mateo, I'm going to give six. Um, he, he, had, he had a good game. He's just, he's just a solid guy. We talked about this the last time. Well, uh, he, he just does his job, 
gets it done. Um, and that's the kind of player that you want in your team. Um, so, yeah, six pies. I think that's a pretty fair score. Um, seven pies for me. I, 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 I mentioned it before. Like, he's so shameless. I hate using this word, but he's so freaking guns that when he plays, man, he doesn't care if he's playing against Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi or whatever is on the pitch. He just go and deliver. Okay, I got to tackle this guy. I go for it. Okay, I got to push this guy to the side. It doesn't matter the name. He just focus on the number. He just go for it. I like that. I feel like we need players like that in our squad, and he's one of those. And he has a bright, a bright, really bright future uh, ahead. And just wait until he gains more experience with the minutes and everything. He's gonna be one of those one 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 of those uh, left backs in, in in the CPL that you know. I, I, I think. Consider. I think as well that um, he's obviously um, because he's playing so well and he's such a good player. He's raising the bar for Alex uh, the Carlos as well. Like Alex is having to become a better player to compete and get into the team. Um, and that's that's what you that's why you have a great squad is because you need somebody who's pushing you because like nobody should be guaranteed a starting spot. Um, everybody should have that person at their heels wanting to take their position. And I think that's the good, that's what Mateo brings to the team too, that Alex just, you're not just going to play every game. Um, like you're going to, you're going to work at, for it. Right? Look at Alex right now. He's, he's just, I know he always had it. Like he always had a talent, but this season is just like, it, it's just like he was just, you know. And I honestly think that comes from having uh, so much competition. You know, as I said, yeah. it, just, it just raises the bar. Um, so then the last one we're going to rate because Ebert came on for like the last eight minutes and I don't, it's not fair to, um, to to rate him on that, um, was Rigi. Rigi came on for Omar in the 70 minutes. So he had like a good 20-minute run out. What, what an impact for 20 minutes. That, 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 that guy. Uh, he, he's, he's Lorenzo Insigne, man. From he, Napoli, he he's just like he's a quality. I, I'm I'm happy for him. The free kick that he won just at the edge of the box when he uh, did about 400 stepovers, and I think that he put um, Crutzen's uh, hips out of place because he just couldn't keep up with him. It was phenomenal, and it's just his work rate, man. Like you, you can tell that he knows or he feels that he's missed out on so much that you know he wants to catch up, and he just has so much energy and. Um, yeah, man, like it, it's it's incredible. Man. Like, I, I can't wait to see what he's going to be like when he has a full preseason. Um, I th- I think uh, he's incredible. And- I feel I feel like Reggie is one of those players that has that energy that the team that is already on the field once they see him in the middle about to get in in the pitch. Fuck. They get that energy, you know? He has something. It's one of those players that he's a different, you know? And all the respect with Joao, because Joao is, is a baller. But Rig is the only one that has that. And I don't know, it's something, but when he jumps in, it's kind of like contagious for all the attackers and start pushing and yeah. pushing and pushing. And, and it's, it's just great. And for like, for, for as I said there, like I, I normally just give people like sixes for um, their contributions, but Jesus, man, like that, what a 20 minutes, uh, what a cameo. <laughs> He's got, yeah. I, I, I'm going to give him seven points. Um, how about yeah. you? I'm giving him 7.5. Nice. Uh, with extra cheese. 
Sweet. So then just to, to finish off, um, the obviously Saturday we've got Calvary and um, the, the big Wanderers viewing party downtown and all that kind of stuff. But um, I, I know it's going to be a great occasion. But before we kind of get into a little bit of um, the festivities, we have to kind of mention how awful that decision was by the referee. So I, I, I wish that, I, I hope, I, I kind of want to give her like pies so I can just take them back off her and give her nothing. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, it was horrendous. And I know referees are under pressure and there's been so much um, confusion over this rule in the box of the ball hitting the hand and all that kind of stuff is denying a goal scoring opportunity and all this bollocks. Like you have to use your common sense. Like if some, if a guy is like, like half a foot away from somebody lashing the ball, what chances he got? And and the fact that like Jake was still in his head, knew to turn to his side and put his arm down by his side, showed like how much he was trying not to give it that penalty. And I must say, like Stephen Hart is like one of the most chillest people in the world I think because he's a gentleman because I I I can honestly tell you like that if that had been like Bobby or Rob Gale or one of those guys oh they go on the pitch right away and they they would have been been fucking make a big deal yeah and I I just think that um, yeah it it was an awful awful, and it it was and I think it's because it's there's so much on the line right now and that's why it's being focused on and I saw something shitty yesterday on Twitter where somebody was trying to bring in the fact that like that she was a woman referee and how many that's men- bullshit. Nobody mentioned yeah. about sexism here. Yeah. It could happen um, to her, a she or a he, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It was poor refereeing and, and it sucks. And because let me let me tell you something. Um she was this close to the play, you know, to call it. If she was a little bit on the angle behind or a little bit far behind, and she made that we could give for that the benefit of the doubt, you know, playing the devil's advocate here. But no, she sucks. It could no. be she, it could be he, it doesn't matter the gender. That was poor refereeing. Even my grandma, rest in peace, she got glaucoma or something, she could do a better call, like yeah. right, right there, you know? It's just. I just wanted to highlight that because I want people to, 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 like, to realize that, that we're not. That's not why we're criticizing. We're criticizing. If that had been like a World Cup, like World Cup final referee or whoever, like it was bullshit and it was an awful call and it changed the whole dynamic of the game. And yeah, it is, yeah. I, I, I think I think we should just leave it there because we, we're not going to be able to change anything. But it's it's um, Saturday. Uh, the Wanderers are playing uh, Calvary. What's your prediction for that game? Well, let me tell you something. Okay. I feel like we're going to tie 1-1, one, one, honestly. And that's been – it's just – we let's, – let's pretend that the penalty didn't happen. Um, we were like – I hate looking at stats because that is just like a backup. But the, the, the stats is that, that Forge had like 68%, 69% of all the whole match, and we only 30 34, 36, something like that. I don't know. I got to check it up. But that tells you something. If that tells you something, okay, so first had the more the ball. Let's see the game. So I watched the game again, and I love, I love my wonders, but 
it wasn't a shitty game, but it wasn't a great game either. Like I, I don't wanna, I, I don't want like I, I am, I, I wanna see that the Wonders that we play against, um, Atletico Ottawa. I wanna see that hunger, because that's we're gonna need that, and we're gonna need more for Calvary. You know, we never beat Calvary, never. I think we never. I, they always beat us. So I, I think that if we give them as much as the ball as what we did against against Forge, they'll punish we're us. That they'll we're punish screw. us. I, I just think that Forge didn't create much. I, I think it's be, I think it's because they're they're they had no back up front and he, like he he just isn't mobile. Um, so them having the ball, they didn't have an option to do anything really with it. Um, whereas I, I just think that. They have so many options at Calvary. Like I mean, like you've got Jordan Brown and you've got Marcus Haber, so you've, they've got two options there, right? And I just think that, um, st- like, I, I know exactly what. Uh, well, I don't know exactly what Stevens doing, but I, I kind of like. Obviously, he wants us to depress and then break. That's kind of, he's he's happy for the other team to have the ball in their half and all that kind of stuff, and then we press and we get the ball Look, and whatever. We can press. We can press. But we keep switching the system to a system that doesn't benefit us a lot, honestly. Yeah. Our best matches have been when we play a 4-2-3-1. You know it. Yep. And the stats doesn't lie, you know? So there's, the, there's, 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 there's that replays on, on one soccer that you can see. So as I was telling Chris, I feel like sometimes – Oh, they look at the calendar. Oh, there's match day at 2 p.m. Okay, we're going to play a 4-1-4-1. Oh, there's a game on the weekend. Okay, we're going to play a 4-2-3-1. I feel <laughs> like we play a 4-1-4-1 when we – the time that we play that, we, we didn't have a spectacular game, and it's been over the weekday, you know. That doesn't mean that it's a weekday. I feel like the system that feeds this team – and that the players feel more comfortable playing with is a 4-2-3-1. That doesn't mean that you don't have to be defensive and you cannot be offensive. But if you want to develop chemistry, you got to develop that chemistry that all your players are adapted into a system. The system works. You just bring the ingredients to it, you know? Yeah. That's what you have to do. So, yeah, um, it, it's going to be, um, as I said, like, I think uh, – for myself, I I think if the team that showed up against Atletico Ottawa, like if, if that same plan, I think we can beat them. And um, if we play the same way we did against Forge, I think we'll get a draw, um, which will still be a good result. To be perfectly honest, because Calgary are a great team, and they showed last night that with that little bit of rest that they they can tear teams apart. And the, I, I kind of made a point on Twitter earlier on that they were almost playing the way that the Wanderers played because they didn't have. They usually have a lot of the possession of the ball. They didn't. They have the, the Pacific, but they just pressed high and made and you, made them make a lot of mistakes. So the, the problem of Cavs is like they the wingers. You 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 cover you cover the midfield, you cover the midfield, and you cover their wingers. Marcus Haber guarantee you that all is going to be offside. So yeah. uh, it's just it's it's it's. I'm not saying that it's going to be easy. Because uh, Tommy Woolen Jr. is a great coach, you know. So it's it's he knows how to read games, and it's gonna be a big task. And on Saturday, it's gonna be also a game of chess, you know. And Stephen Hart has to move his pieces very carefully and see when to when to do it, when to attack, 
when to defend, you know, but I feel like the last time we play against Caps, we respect the rival too much. And I feel like we have to be there if we got a chance to score more, just score, but be careful and defend. Like go with the Mateo mentality, you know? Doesn't matter the rival. You just go there and play, do your thing, and be focused. So yeah, uh, on that note, we'll uh, we'll we'll leave it, and um, let's hope that the next time we meet, we're uh, celebrating a Wanderers victory. Thanks, Carlos, and uh, I'll talk to you soon, bud. Talk to you soon. Come on, you Wanderers. Come on, you Wanderers. This episode of the Down the Pub podcast is brought to you in association with Bootbox Vancouver, suppliers of boot socks. No movement in the boot means no blisters on the foot. Head to bootboxvancouver.com to get yours today. Our Wanderers Games reviews are brought to you thanks to the good folks at Humble Pie. Authentic butterflake pastry filled with local cuts, quality cheese and rich gravy to fill you up on the go or in the comfort of your own home. Head to humblepiekitchen.ca to get yours today. Pies and points, the perfect match. You've been listening to the Down the Pub podcast, recorded in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.